Wesley. I'm Wesley. Today is the finale solo for season two. And just to be fair and honest with you all, I'm letting you know that I'm doing this thing down to the wire, like always. I read somewhere once that if you have three months to hit a massive deadline, but if it only takes you three hours before it's actually due, then you only needed three hours and you never actually needed the three months. So this is sort of my style with life for better or for worse. But here we go anyway. As I've been sitting around here, I've just been thinking about how I wanted to end this season because it is sort of abrupt. And the only thing that comes to mind right now is how it started in the goo phase, the yucky, ooey gooey, gross middle phases of life we all find ourselves in throughout our lifetimes. And I know that goo phases happen to us not just once, but I think we get the beautiful opportunity to be in many, many goo phases throughout our lifetime. And this is a good thing because transformation is a gift. It's a blessing the evolution of self feels like my life's only true path forward. And I'm, I am I get hesitant to claim any other path forward for myself but evolution. And I think this is why I could never name what I wanted to do or be since I was a kindergartner, even now. Like if people ask me what I want to do, I don't say I'm a podcaster. When I had a blog, I didn't say I was a blogger. It feels like labely and too boxed in. So I can't claim just one thing, but I think I can claim that I'm always evolving, always changing, always morphing. So as I was thinking about how this season started in the goo, I realized that I failed to mention to you all how the concept of the goo phase even came to me in the first place. And it's another medicine story I have to tell. So here it goes. It was September a few years back, and I decided I wanted to spend my birthday in a traditional ayahuasca ceremony, a Shipibo ayahuasca ceremony. And I had already been in the medicine for three nights, back to back by that point. My body was tired by that fourth night. That's putting it mildly, like you are thoroughly spent. But I remember my stomach was churning at even the thought of drinking the brew again that fourth night before we had to. It it was my birthday though that night. And it was our last night together as a group. I went to Soltara in Costa Rica. So I just, I remember gutting through it, even though my body felt pretty weak. I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily want to do it again, but I, I did. And that night I remember I had to chew the brew down as I got my cup because my body wouldn't swallow it. Like it was thick and they call it nature's chocolate, and they, whoever they are, they're lying. Because let me tell you, it does not taste like chocolate. I, they should never call it that. But that night, out of the whole group, I was first. So that meant that I had the most time to sit with it and wait for the medicine to hit and the teachings to come before the Shipibo shaman started his Ikaros. And <clears throat> those are, oh no, <clears throat> I always have to clear my throat when I'm talking about real shit, just so you know. So there you go. But Ikaros, it's funny that it came up with Ikaros because they are heavy on my mind right now. Ikaros are sacred medicine songs that guide medicine to your specific body, your healing, your energy. So being first and waiting for everyone else to get their cup served, it meant that I had the most time to just sit there and wait. And you can feel so anxious in these moments. But I had the most time to sit there and contemplate all the lessons I had received the nights before. 
and this experience in general, it was just so much different than my other sits with La Medicina, as they call her, which is the magic and the mystery and the master teacher that ayahuasca has always been for me. So I sat there waiting and I was thinking about how deeply personal the lessons had been for me that week and how how I, it was so different. I wasn't blasted out into the galaxies like my other times with the medicine, but rather I was more blasted deeper into myself, my personal inner workings, my design, both my humanness and my otherworldliness was illuminated for me in a way that I just could not escape from. And I realized I much preferred to be blasted off into the galaxies. (laughs) in those medicine situations, because my own shit is just that it's shit, it's shitty, and I know it all well. So I was trying to get ahead of the medicine. I always do this. Um, It never works, P.S. It just doesn't work. But I I find myself racking my brain about what more could possibly come up, and I almost want to get ahead of it. But right as the medicine did start to kick in, as people were being served their cups, I heard a distant song far away in the jungle. And you guys, when I say the jungle, this is, we're not in America. This is not some fancy Airbnb. There are no lights, no other people around. There are howler monkeys. Like, but in this jungle, I could suddenly hear a karaoke party loud and clear in real life. You guys, not in medicine life. Like, but out there in the jungle, there was a distant karaoke party. And out of all the songs in the world they could sing, they started singing happy birthday in Spanish as clear as day on my birthday. (laughs) I just, I sat there and I laughed. I was laughing out loud because how odd. No other songs were sung. They sung the one song, just happy birthday. And that's it. And my mind started to make up a story about how it's just, what a coincidence. It's someone else's birthday out there in the jungle. And I mean, it's weird for happy birthday to be broadcasted out there in the middle of nowhere, loud enough for me to hear it. With, I don't know how they had electricity to plug this stuff in, but it, it was on my actual birthday in a country where I know no one. And that was that. But then the medicine does what she does, and she started teaching me how wrong I was. And she was teaching me that that wasn't a coincidence, that there's no such thing as coincidence, that that song that night, that was for me. It was my birthday song. I was meant to hear it. I, I was made to feel special and remembered and laughed to myself in some funny little way that the universe knows me. And it just, it made me smile. But as quickly as that knowing came, that feeling came, it left and I got hungry for the real stuff. And I actually remember feeling hungry. And this little tidbit is important to note that I felt hungry. So I'm sitting there hungry for more in-depth awarenesses, for more teachings, sort of chuckling off the happy birthday song, but also like, yeah, I was like, let's move on. Like if I'm here, I want to ring every last drop of lessons out. Like I was almost pushing this little universal happy birthday gift to myself, like to the side, like, thank you. Weird. Let's move on now to the next. I'm hungry for more. Um, Things got interesting. So the nights before I was given a phrase throughout each ceremony and those lessons were swirling around. This was very much like a story, like a prolonged story. The other times it's like you have one sit and it's like all these different things. And then the next sit's totally different. But this 
grouping, it was like they wove into each other. And I, I told you a little bit about my fifth ceremony there, the playing cards episode. Um, I have a whole episode on that. That was sit number five for me. And now I was on number eight. But I mentioned in that episode, in the playing cards episode, how ayahuasca is a master weaver making a tapestry. And it's like each night was a different design of this tapestry being sort of crafted on top of itself. And and it was me. Like I was the tapestry. It was weaving me, my my real self, my identity, my design. And that first night I saw my life like a card game where I was dealt cards with phrases on them. I had for people who didn't listen to that, I'll go quickly. I But I had power cards and they said things like, it was like the ace, king, queen, jack, all like the power face cards. But they said things like woman of integrity, intelligence, wisdom, responsibility, um, woman of power. And, and then I had number cards that I was dealt and they said cute and relatable and easy. And then I realized in that fifth ceremony that I've been playing my whole entire life with only my number cards, with my, with my cuteness and my relatability and my easy demeanor, just forever and always. And I hide or I saved away my powerhouse cards, my, my good cards, my trump cards, my wisdom, my intellect, my power, my divine responsibility, my gifting. I never used those cards. I stowed them away, saving them for, for a rainy day or something. But it was probably one of my most favorite ways the medicine has ever taught me anything. It just landed for me. And, and I thought that was that. I thought those lessons were done on the fifth night until ceremonies six, seven, and eight, because <laughs> in the medicine sits that followed, I was drugged through the damn mud of why I never played my powerhouse cards. Like ceremony five was, here's who you really are. Now go out and be that, do that loud and proud. And night six, seven, and eight were reasons as to why I can't or why I think I shouldn't or why I play small and hide who I really am. So the cards went away these other nights. They were only there night five. But the phrases, those remained. They were like gut punches. Um, it's like I saw behind the veil of the phrases, my resistance to the phrases. Like I am powerful, for example. That one came up. And I reckoned with how I am a powerful woman innately and all the hows and the whys of why I don't actually own that word at all and more like hide it. And it was confusing. So I was asking what it even means to be a powerful woman. And it was like my mouth was tripping over my own words. I couldn't even say the word powerful. Have you ever looked at a word and you're like, that's not a real word. Like that fork. Like what? We all walk around calling that, that? Like it doesn't even make sense suddenly. That was the word powerful because I felt every reason in my body for why it's actually dangerous to be a powerful woman, to be a person who claims their own personal power in society because powerful people to me often abuse their power. That was my truth. It still is my truth. I see powerful people all the time abusing their power. So my thoughts and my feelings about powerful people aren't exactly good feelings or good thoughts. And I realized I don't even want this phrase. Why the hell am I dealt that card? I don't like it. It's not something I'm striving for, power. So 
Of course, I had resistance to this phrase, to even feeling or accepting this in myself, like powerful people seem to dominate others. They're always pushing their own agenda. They feel self-serving, egotistical even, and I didn't and I don't want this. I didn't want to claim this. And then it was like I was downloaded with all the very real history behind these sentiments I held, like through in my DNA even, because historically, powerful women, they get burned at the stake. Women who didn't need others or who found their own healing were considered wrong or dangerous, even blasphemous. So safety feels like secrecy. Like, Hiding who they were kept them safe and free, not sovereignty free, not true freedom, but at least free enough to maintain a sense of normalcy, like do whatever you need to do, but, but privately, not publicly. And also publicly powerful people are either like heavily scrutinized. I don't like that. Or heavily admired. I don't like that. Like my nature has always felt more to just blend in, be normal, be liked, be in the middle. I'm a freaking Libra in all the ways. So Being liked has just felt like safety for me. I've always not wanted to rock the boat too much. And I think I would call this an attribute, maybe respectful even, or like having a chill demeanor. But these lessons were showing me what this resistance in me is actually about, or I guess where it stems from. And it's most definitely fear, the exact opposite of power, because real power is an honoring of your self-truth. Or even in honoring of your truest self-identity, like your, you, who you are. And whatever comes along with that is, it was teaching me that it's not up for me to manage or even be aware of, but my awareness is always so aware. So I know I'll be aware of it. I just don't have to manage it. Just let it be. I need to claim my own power because it's in there. We all have it. You have it too. Then the other phrases, one was, I'm a woman of integrity, and I learned what being a woman of integrity would call of me to be, because let's be very honest right now, I don't think I can call myself a woman of integrity yet. I'm a woman who is striving to be an integrity, but my own shadowy aspects of what living a life of integrity, what like what that would entail and coming up to the reality that it's not an easy path, let me tell you. And it was sort of piggybacking off the other phrase, I'm a powerful woman. And to be a powerful woman, you have to also be a woman of integrity. They go hand in hand like little sisters. And I learned that integrity to me means honesty, like an honesty about what I think, feel, and believe privately, but publicly. And A lack of integrity to me means doing things I don't want to do, but I do do them. To be well-received, to be nice, liked, accepted, to not make people upset, to be considered a good friend, to not rock the boat. But it's, it's an easy button. An easy button is a lack of integrity. Like, do the easy thing. And being integrity for me meant doing the hard thing. I would have to start saying things people don't want to hear, not going along with culture, being weird, being different, being considered rude. Like I know when I feel like I'm just being truthful and honest and when other people take it as being rude, but disappointing people, being misunderstood, 
and just leaving it at that, not fixing it or molding myself into a different shape to better fit into society or even in, in like circles of friends or from familial structures. It's everywhere. And it showed me in a way that I just think is funny and sort of relevant to us all because it's in the way I use my phone. And <laughs> I mean, and what it, I guess what it means to have a following, mine is small, it's 39,000 people. But if you think about 39,000 people in your backyard, that's not small. But I, I guess I can kind of beat myself up at times for not nurturing this 39, these 39,000 people the way that I think could or would be beneficial to them, the people following me, or even to me as a businesswoman or a podcaster, or just to like use my phone or Instagram or social media more correctly, like appropriately. But I don't. I don't respond to DMs. I don't link stuff. I don't beat the algorithm. I don't post regularly. I don't feed the beast. I, and even if I sort of got better at this, like I could, or I should, I could hire someone, right? Like there, I think there are multiple hacks around this, but I just don't want to do them. (laughs) I don't want to do them. I don't want any more of my energy going there than it has to. And I don't want to manage another person to do it either. So I, I'm perfectly fine with it being the way it is, but there is this voice in me that's like, Hey, you could do better there. You're capable of more there. You could play that game with little effort even, and just see huge rewards. But it genuinely feels out of integrity for me because I can, I know myself and I can so easily get lost in that world. For It's designed for us to get lost in that world. It's its whole function. That's its whole job. And I'm in no way, shape or form immune from that to that. And I dislike it probably because I feel so powerless to it. I think people think like, oh, she just doesn't like Instagram. No, I don't like Instagram because I start scrolling and I'm lost for days. I like it too much. Like it's just so entertaining and TikTok, holy shit. I can't go there because that is my brain's heroin. Short little bursts of info and dopamine and and funny stuff and like I'm down rabbit holes and suddenly I am rendered useless and annoyed of any of the other responsibilities I have to do for the day. Like I just want to do TikTok. So in a weird way, that's my integrity. And I'm not saying it's yours, but it is mine. And I... I just can't live in these spaces. They're not good for me, even though they'd be great for my business. Maybe great for you. Probably not great for you. I don't think anything I do there would be good for you, but call it stupid, call it integrity. And I guess sometimes integrity can appear to be stupidity, but I'm keeping it for now, at least. Pardon the interruption. This episode is brought to you by Ned. Ned has had, and still has, the best CBD on the market. You hear it from me all the time. It's the only one that I feel actually makes a difference. So yes, you guys know how much I love their CBD, but now I love using my CBD sleep blend before bed, and you guys, they just, it's its the best thing they've ever come out with. It's called Shut Eye Chai, and it's taking my nightly routine to the next level. So Shut Eye Chai is inspired by 5,000 years of ancient healing traditions. It's a mellow super blend latte. It's for sleep, and it combines adaptogens, aminos, functional mushrooms, and magnesium. It is seriously, the they have the best ingredients out there. It's all wrapped up into a heavenly masala chai-inspired 
drink. So it's it's very chai-like. It's like cinnamony, clovey, gingery, all this good stuff. It tastes amazing. So I love Ned and I love chai and it's like they mix the best of both worlds. The amazing health benefits of Ned with the yummy taste of the chai. It's just too good to be true. I drink it while I'm watching my favorite show at night. And it doesn't just set you up for amazing sleep because ingredients like the chaga, reishi, and ashwagandha, they're deeply nourishing to our body. So we get a ton of additional benefits on top of the sleep benefits. My favorite thing about it is the effect it has on my nervous system. I'm all about that nervous system support these days, if you can't figure that out already. So... I'm, I just, I love finding ways to activate and keep me in my parasympathetic nervous system. It's, it's the, the rest and digest function of the body. So shut-eye chai will help calm your nervous system. It nourishes your senses and sends you peacefully off into dreamland. I look so forward to my nightly chai, and I know you guys will love this drink as much as I do. My kids drink it too. It's a little hack. You can give it to the kids. So discover how shut-eye chai can revolutionize your sleep and get 15% off with code Wesley. Go to helloned.com slash Wesley or enter code Wesley at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash Wesley to get 15% off. Sweet dreams, my friends. The other phrase I got was, I'm a woman of divine responsibility. And this is when things start clicking. So stay with me. So this was another heavy dose of reality. And I, I accepted what a life of responsibility will always feel like. And it's mostly with my kids being a mother. Um, and it showed me how I have this daydreamer mind where I can create these future scenarios where I sort of relax. Like I take my foot off the gas and I don't have to care so deeply about all the things I care about, especially with my kids. And the medicine was gently like, mm, hey, you, hey, silly little girl. That's never going to happen. You're going to care and you're going to effort this same amount until you're dead. There's never a day coming when when you're off from this divine responsibility. So just accept that. Otherwise, you're going to grow bitter. This role of mother or daughter or sister or wife, it never ends. You're going to be disappointed if you're waiting for a retirement period. It's not coming because you signed up for this. It's forever. And I'm always going to care. And I'm always going to feel responsible to really show up for these certain people. So I just, I had to accept that. That the off days were never coming. The retirement is never coming. And throughout the three prior nights, I was shown certain members of my family and their spirit animals. And it was always hitting this like note of responsibility. And it's just, this was so interesting and funny to me because I have never asked, there's never been an internal desire. I've never been curious to know what anyone's spirit animal was before, but they came to me and seeing each person in my life as their cute little, their soul creature was just like the cherry on top of each experience. It was such a treat. So lovely, highly suggested if you ever do ayahuasca, try to f- ask for your soul animal. But um, they would come unexpectedly. I never asked. Just suddenly Bronson was there in my field of energy, of vision, but he was a brown bear and um, a brown mama bear to be more specific. And I double checked with the medicine. I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, that's Bronson, but like, that's a mom. Like I'm like, <laughs> for me. <laughs> and the medicine's like, Wesley, shut up. 
I know. Be quiet. Listen. But everything about him made so much sense to me, like as a brown mama bear, because think about a mama bear. They're protective, nurturing. They're, they teach their cubs skills. They're taking care of its cubs. It's taking care of its cubs, teaching them the ways. And also like they're no nonsense. Like their cubs go, like they go on ice. It was showing me like a cub walking out onto ice. And this brown bear was like, it was just like aggressive. It like swatted at it. Like you dummy, get back over here. And the cub's like, oh yeah, okay, cool. And it's just so Bronson, the way he interacts with everything. He just, he takes people under his wing. He shows them the ropes. He's so caring. He's so nurturing. He's so protective. And for the rest of my time there and for the rest of my life, Bronson is named, he's called Bronson Brown Bear. I call him that now. And then um, Remy came and she was this cute little Alaskan husky puppy, bright blue eyed, loyal to a fault, good at everything, just a natural, playful, and your best friend. So Remy, like it's astonishing. I never thought of Remy as this before. I cannot see her as anything else, but Remy has this gift of likability, like a little puppy. Like people are so drawn to her and it's, it's an amazing gift she has and it's Rems. And then Ozzy came and he was a honeybee, a busy little bee, but building the hive, there was an importance to his role. And I kept getting words and phrases with him like, world builder, dutiful, smart, tactical, tactful little, like a honeybee, like a significance to that boy's role. Like he's going to do something. And then Zuri was, Zuri was different because zoo is different, otherworldly, not an animal on earth, but from another realm. And she was a crab, but it was like, she was made out of mapacho leaves. That was like she was made out of a crab made out of mapacho leaves and she would only walk in zigzags. I guess like crabs do. They walk sideways, right? Like their path is not straight. And the mapacho was significant because to me, mapacho is about protection, a calling, a divine duty. And the lessons in seeing her as this little cute alien leaf crab self were endless. And to me, she is perfect living her design and a strong message came through just to let that girl be her little sideways walking crab self. And then I saw my sister. She was an elephant, like an African elephant, wise, like respected, grand. And my brother was a silverback gorilla, king of the jungle vibe, like a commander, a person deserving of so much respect and authority. And I never saw myself all the nights. Like we're like coming down to the wire of the last night. Like the medicine's almost wearing off. Like you you start to fall into your body again and you can just, you know, like, oh, it's coming to a close soon and you are so thankful. But I never saw myself. And there were birds in all of my visions, exotic looking birds with these things coming off their head. It was like the same type of bird. And I kept thinking, that's gotta be me. I keep seeing it. And then I'd be like, I would ask like, oh, is that me? And then they would just go away. And so that was my messaging from the medicine. Like, nope, not you. It could be you. Maybe it's parts of you. But yeah, these different birds just kept showing up. None of them were me and I didn't get my animal. Then this fourth night starts 
and we're going back to the beginning because the happy birthday song is sung on my actual birthday. And I'm pushing away this funny little coincidence. That's not a coincidence at all, but my first real visionary experience of the night. And all of a sudden I'm remembering how hungry I felt at the beginning. And then the minute I remember that hunger, a butterfly showed up. So a butterfly appears and it's an electric blue butterfly but it's not from this world either. And it's shining from like lit from within like bioluminescence. And the messaging was so clear to me. It was like, Hey, you're a butterfly. And I'm like, I'm a butterfly. And I shit you not you guys. I was so disappointed. (laughs) Like my little human self was like, damn it. I'm a freaking butterfly. Everyone loves butterflies. Everyone has a tattoo of a butterfly. Butterflies are like these cutesy little bugs, little girly pretty things. They sort of do nothing. And then I I was like, okay, I'm a butterfly. I think the night's ending. And then the grandmother got spicy with me like she does. And it was full force, like, pay attention to me now. This is serious. Like, almost like you're in trouble. And she forced me to see a butterfly for what it is. And I love when I get direct consults with ayahuasca because it's like an actual dialogue where I like can ask a question and talk and there's a response. And so this was a consult and she said to me, yes, it's delicate child. And what is so wrong with being delicate? The butterfly's wings could tear with little force at all. So it calls for the world around her to treat her as such. Be delicate around her for she deserves delicacy. And what does she do, my child? For you know nothing. You're still so unaware and there's still so much to learn. And then it showed me, me, as a butterfly. And I flapped my little tissue paper bioluminescent wing and the wind I created from one little flutter carried around the galaxy because I'm not even on earth. And it brought a gust of wind to the brown bear, showing it where to find berries for its cubs. It gave the husky the scent of its owner so it could find its way home. It gave the bee the wind to carry it to help pollinate flowers. And it gave the crab a reason to hunker down into its shell and do whatever crabs do in there from one little flap of its wings, from it just being itself. Its its only job is just to be a freaking butterfly to go wherever it wants, to go wherever it pleases. And butterflies start out as something much different. They start out as the caterpillar. And the vision brought me back to my childhood reading The Hungry, Hungry Caterpillar. And I loved that damn book. And it brought about feelings of my own hunger. They were all back and the lessons were hitting me somatically in my body and my heart and my mind and my soul all at once. It was all making sense. And I've always been so hungry It's in my design. I am hungry to live, to experience, to learn, to grow. I've taken in garbage at times to feed myself because I have this insatiable appetite. But the caterpillar is designed to be ravenous. Its entire life before the chrysalis moment is solely focused on hunger. It eats anything and everything all day long, slowly, methodically. It takes everything in and it doesn't even know why or does it. I honestly don't know. And then the day comes where it's eaten enough and that hunger turns to dedication. The way it ate, it now builds. It wraps itself in a cocoon. It cuts itself off from the outside world and everyone in it. 
It melts itself down to goo by choice and hopes to emerge as something else, but it doesn't know what yet. And the caterpillar is brave. It's determined and it's structured, almost robotic, obedient in its design. And I never gave the caterpillar any damn credit. I talk about the chrysalis and I talk about the butterfly, but the caterpillar is it. So I don't know. I'm feeling the caterpillar lately, even though I feel like the butterfly because the butterfly can't be herself without that dedication of the caterpillar. And on that fourth and final night, that phrase came to me. The final phrase came to me and it just said, you're different. Stop trying to be what other people want you to be. You're not doing it wrong. You're doing it right. There's no straight path laid out for an electric blue butterfly. Quit trying to make a path for yourself and just be your little alien butterfly self. Do what you want, how you want, when you want. What you want is never wrong. It's right. Follow your nature because nature is divine, which means so are you. So that's the story of how the goo phase came to me. But I failed to mention the butterfly part and the caterpillar part too. And this, I'm still trying to work out exactly what it means. I haven't known what being a bioluminescent butterfly actually means to me yet because much like my season two opener, I've been figuring out parts still. And the chaos that has ignited since I started this season two is just sort of laughable. It mimics season one because... Three weeks to the day before I started this show in 2019, Jess here, you know Jess now, Wes and Jess, she's on here. She's my little co-host here and there. Jess was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was my only plan. It was just going to be me and Jess talking here and there. And then she beat cancer in 2020. And then I got out of my goo phase in 2022. And I was ready to start season two of this show with Jess by my side, like a little, I don't know, sidekick, but in some sick joke, three weeks to the date again of season two opening, we got news that her cancer came back. The synchronicities are wild. And if this medicine taught me anything, it's that there's no such thing as coincidence. It's a nod to me to not have a straight path laid out as much as I can strategize and plan and hire and manage and do all the things life seemingly always will find a way to make all of our pretty little straightforward plans and mingle them up. And I'm beginning to realize that it's for my best interest because I think I'm a freaking butterfly and you can't make a butterfly fly straight. So I'll go wherever the wind takes me. And I think as I do so, I'm actually creating the wind. So the last six months have been a wild ride. And the work of a storyteller with so many good stories to tell is that I actually am a mother first, a wife first, a daughter and a friend first. And so much of the chaos I've been flying in isn't my story to tell, even though they're really good stories to tell. Maybe one day I'll figure out how to tell them, but that day is not today. So for right now, I'm feeling the call to go wherever I want to go. And in December, I kind of got to a fuck it point and I relinquished all control, all plans, all strategies. And I will tell you that already that has just seemingly paid off so great for me. 
Opportunities are just falling into my lap. I'm saying yes to adventures I had no plans on to go on. And I'm saying no to other things that my old self would have called me a fool to say no to. Feels like I'm sort of living recklessly, wildly, but ultimately free. And I'm in this new phase of life where for the first time in my life, my kids are okay without me. I mean, I started young from 19, but they're growing up and I am too. And Bronson has more freedom than ever before as well. So it's like a strange role reversal is happening. We're experiencing it. And the first half of our marriage, I stayed home. I took care of the fort. I let him spread his wings and fly. He created the life of our dreams and a life I wouldn't even dare envision for us. Like I wouldn't allow myself to dream as big as him because I thought one of us needed to be a realist, right? To balance out the scales. But he has proven to be a big teacher of mine. I'm learning a lot from him. So I think this next next part, um, while I don't know what's coming or where this is going, it feels like my turn to live my design, to figure out what I really want, where I want to be, because it's a liberating day when you sit down with yourself and realize you actually don't even know what you want anymore, but you're open to figuring it out. So that is my plan, if you can call it a plan. I'm just going to let life happen to me again. Surrender to it. It's funny because I'm hopping back into the passenger seat. The exact, like, the thing that it took 30 years for me to get out of. But this time around, the driver isn't anyone I know here. I'm not getting in anyone else's car. It's my car. I'm just riding shotgun in some universal semi-truck with some unknown loving driver. And I'm deciding to call this my plan. And maybe I'll let you know how this goes for me whenever it is that I do decide to release season three of Wake Up With Wesley. But my loves, thank you for listening. It's been fun for the time being. You should follow me along social media. I can't promise much, especially right now. Because the day that this is being aired, I will be long gone on a social media digital fast because I'll be deep in the jungle doing what I do. But when I'm back, I'm sure I'll share what I know needs to be shared if anything does. And with that, let's call it a wrap on season two. See ya. Love ya. Bye. Bye.